Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. My mom named me Felina Horn. And when I was a kid, I remember being pissed that I had like a little two syllable uh, boring name. Like, I don't, I wanna be Takesha or, De, you know, Daquana or something. I wanted to have one of those names. And my mom was like, trust me, you'll thank me later. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Oh, they're super rich. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. You don't have to kill me. And need to talk about more. You were just some boy who made me laugh at a party once, and now I loathe the sight of you. I'm Anna Sale. When I talked with writer and actor Lena Waithe in early January, she was in the middle of a packed press tour around her new show, The Shy. You are in the middle of it, man. I am. Everywhere I turn is Lena. (laughs) You know what? And that's a good thing. The Shy is just the latest project from Lena that's getting a lot of attention. Last year, she became the first Black woman to win an Emmy for comedy writing. That was for an episode of Master of None that was based loosely on her own experience of coming out to her family. This is a moment that Lena's been working toward for more than 10 years, since she moved out to L.A. from Chicago in 2006, right out of college, to try to make it as a writer. I lived deep in the valley, like Van Nuys deep uh, valley. There was a roach or two that lived there with me, and I was working at Blockbuster. I transferred my my Blockbuster job from Chicago to L.A. That's who I was. I remember we would work late nights and have to swap out the the old releases with the new releases. I remember listening to Dane Cook's album over the intercom while we uh, <laughs> would, you know, swap stuff out. I know what it's like to to be at the starting line of a marathon on your way to a dream. And you were living all by yourself. Living by myself. Living by myself. But I was happy. I was happy. I was a little scared. I felt really small. You feel really small when you first moved to Los Angeles. And also you feel like a nobody. Because you're like, nobody cares about me. Because that's the thing about L.A. It's all about who are you? What do you mean to me? You know, and what what can I get from you? What can you do for me? Do you know how much you were getting paid? An hour? I mean, maybe a dollar or two above minimum wage. Maybe. It was just, it was definitely, you know, you know, dues paying time. And not, I wasn't even paying dues yet. I was just out there figuring it out. And uh, I was really broke. And I was really grateful to have a family that was willing to pay my rent for a year. That's the funny thing. Whenever mm. I talk to people who say, oh, I want to move out to L.A. and do this, I always say it's good to have a dream, but you also got to have a sponsor. You know, you got to have mm. somebody that's willing to pay your phone bill when you can't afford to. You got to have somebody that's willing to supplement some of your income because your job is not paying you enough. I mean, that job, I don't even know what that check was doing for me. I mean, my mom was like, here, okay, I went from paying the college tuition to the rent. We're going to figure it out. 
What was it like negotiating that sponsorship from your mom for that first year of rent out in L.A.? It wasn't awful. You know, she was just happy that her daughter was making something of her life. I think she really took pride in that and was happy to pay whatever she needed to. And I think for her, it was an investment. She was like, Lena's going to be somebody. She's trying to do something. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'll take it. Did that raise the stakes for you to succeed in L.A.? I think the stakes were high no matter what. Because people were counting on me. Like, a lot of people in my family had dreams. Of course they did. But they didn't have the opportunity to chase them with everything they had. So I sort of put not just my clothes and my belongings in my bag, but I put their deferred dreams in my bag as well. Lena grew up with her mother and older sister in Chicago. They moved in with her grandmother after Lena's parents divorced when she was young. Her dad wasn't around much after that. Did it feel like you had enough money when you were growing up? We did, that's what I always say. We never, we didn't have everything we wanted, but we never wanted for anything. It was working slash middle class. I never felt like, oh, we were struggling. Now, what I did know was that not everybody lived with their grandmother. That I knew. Mm-hmm. But I never, I love my grandmother. I was never embarrassed of that at all. Um, but now as I got older, I kind of realized, oh, we kind of had to because my mom, like, needed the help um, emotionally and financially. But I enjoyed having her there. So I'm grateful for that that chapter as well. But I do the thing I remember, which is so interesting because I have Jordans on my feet now. That was what I could never get. I was like, can I please get a pair of Jordans? And she was like, the amount I could spend on Jordans is how much we have to spend on groceries for the month. Uh-huh. So there, that's when I kind of realized, huh, okay, so we don't have what we like to call disposable income. Got it. And that was frustrating. So for me, that was the only thing. But then now, of course, it's like, I mean, I have a, an entire wall in my office that is just like boxes and boxes of Jordans. It's just a thing. It's a culture. You just, You're like, I am starting my collection. I'm starting my collection. But Gerard Carmichael says it so well in his special. He's like, it's just, it's a trauma. We can't help it. We just have to have it. It's a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember being in school and seeing other kids with them on, right, the day they came out. And it bothered me that their parents were, you know, doing, going the extra mile to get them these sneakers. And my mom was like, nope, deal with it. K-Swiss or nothing. K-Swiss? Okay, great. That's what she, you know, (laughs) humbled me, man. How old were you when you started writing? I started writing just just very young. I wrote about my family. I wrote about things I saw. I wrote about things I heard. And I wrote about things I dreamed up. And I'll never forget, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Darbunas, at Turner Drew Academy in Chicago, said, Lena, I always look forward to your papers. And I said, why is that? She said, because you write the way you speak. And um, I didn't know what that meant really at the time, and I, but I'm, but I was very grateful. I mean, for an adult to compliment a child about something they're good at is life changing. Were there any real world role models in your life growing up of someone who was 
writing creatively? No, not really. But I remember the, which, which, which is obviously still popular now, but the American Girls series. And so my mom was like, oh, there's these American Girl books, and I'm going to get Lena the black one because that's the household we live in. And she, I remember she handed me a book and it said Addie, and I remember reading it very quickly. And she took me to a book signing of a black woman who had written that particular series of books. And that was the first time I really put a face to words where I said, oh, this mm. is the lady that wrote this book that I read about this black girl and her family. And that was the first real, like, okay, somebody wrote these words and I enjoyed them. But then I learned eventually that writers also could write TV shows and movies. That was something Lena wanted to do when she grew up, especially compared to the kind of work she saw her mom doing. I could never explain to you, like, what she did for a living. We never kind of had those conversations. <laughs> I just know she left every morning at 8 and came back at 7 and, you know, kept the lights on. She always was working in an office and she worked downtown. And I just, but I could never differentiate, like, what one office cubicle person did from the other. And I just remember <laughs> it never interested me. I was always like, whatever this is, like, this is hell. Like, this is what hell looks like. Whatever it is y'all do all day long. Because I remember that I did, like, for a little bit because I really needed some money. And so she got me, like, you know, work in her office as every good mother worth their salt does, you know. Um, but I just remember, like, entering data into a computer. And yeah. I just was like, it wasn't your calling. this is horrific. Did you have to dress up? You know what's interesting? Because that was a big thing for my mom. Like, she didn't like the fact that I dressed like a, a boy. And I basically was dressing like a lesbian in training at the time. And it was just like she just was not happy about it. And uh, I wore a skirt, like, once, and I almost, like, just killed over, and I never did again. It's interesting, too, um, because home represented a place where I couldn't be myself. Mm. That's what I think she started to represent for me. That's what almost Chicago started to represent for me uh, until I really moved to L.A. and said, found myself in a real way, away from my family. When you had a moment of doubt when you were trying to figure out your early career, who who could you talk to about it? I tried to talk to my mom about it, but she it's such a unique business. And it's one that if you're not in it, you don't understand it. So I kind of start to realize, oh, I can't really talk to them about it because they don't know it. They don't live it every day. They're not in it all the time. And I think I started to build my village like Justin Simeon, who then went on to create Dear White People, or Ben Jones, mm -hmm. who's currently writing on Insecure, Dime Davis, who I met through Justin, who's a filmmaker and an amazing writer, and the people that were also chasing their dreams and had their families' deferred dreams in their backpacks. We could understand each other. We spoke the same language, and we could push each other. We could hold each other up. And I think that's what really sort of kept me going. It's the chosen family that picks you up and carries you through once you're birth family has sort of dropped you off and goes, this is as far as we can take you. Your chosen mm -hmm. family has taken you the rest of the way. How much did you talk about money with that chosen family and how to manage what you made and how to make more? Well, there wasn't much money to speak of. So we were just, we, we, I think we bonded through our brokenness, uh -huh. <laughs> to be honest. And, and I think, but Justin is someone, because Justin, I always say his life is always one year ahead of mine. 
he got success, he fell in love, he did certain things, like, all, like, a year before I, every time before I did. And so he was, like, the guinea pig. Like, I remember distinctively when I got cast on Master of None and I was on my way to New York. He was like, you have to, like, get incorporated now. Like, you got to huh. get a business manager now. He said, because, yeah, you're doing a little staff writing gigs and you're making money, you're all right, you're good. But, like, now, this is a different game. You we making a certain amount of money. You'll be in a certain tax bracket. So you need to behave as such. And I think that this sort of was a level of maturity that you have to gain when you start making a certain amount of money that I think people don't often think about. There's a level of maturity that has to go with it. Coming up, Lena talks about how falling in love has made her more bold in her career. When I walk into a meeting now, like, I don't care what you think of me because Alana thinks the world of me, and that's fine. That's enough. Since we launched our series about class last month called Opportunity Costs, you've continued to send us stories, and you're still filling out our class survey. We asked you to tell us one thing about your current class status that gives you pride. The only reason why I even made it into my industry is from a lot of serious hard work. And one thing that makes you feel shame. I'm making more money than perhaps my my father ever did. And I'm only at the very start of my career. More than 800 of you have responded to the survey so far. You've told us about the mixed feelings you have about the car you drive, the debt you have, the kinds of cheese you can afford at the grocery store. We wanted to find a way to share these responses with all of you. And two of our listeners, Katie Broida and Emily Thies, helped us create a website where you can click through and see the interesting contrast of what people feel pride and shame about. You can go see it for yourself at dsmclass.community. That's at dsmclass.community. And you can still add your own feelings about class pride and shame to our survey. There's a link to that on the site as well. On the next episode, a woman who took a mail-in DNA test to learn about her family history and got bigger news than she was expecting. There was a part of me that was really fighting, saying, no, 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 this can't be true. This is not possible. Another part of me was sort of starting to dive into the, like, oh, my gosh, this means that my father was not my biological father. With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers, together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. So check it out. Subscribe to Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wondering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on Death, Sex, and Money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Lena Waithe's new show, The Shy, takes place on the south side of Chicago, where she lived until she was 12 and moved to the suburbs. Lena created the Showtime drama, and she says after all the years in L.A., it felt good to focus on home. I got to a place where I wanted to write about that place, and and I came back triumphant. I came back as someone who had sold a show to a network that was about that city. This city is a part of me, and I'm going to help paint a picture of it through my lens because I still think it's beautiful. When I was watching The Shy, I thought a lot about the the emphasis on on the black male characters. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder, do, were you thinking about your dad while writing it? Not as much, no. Maybe more my uncle, my mother's brother, who also struggled with substance abuse. My father did as well. But it's funny because there's, there's father figures in the show, and there's the theme of fatherhood for sure and what it means to be a father and that responsibility and what that looks like and what that means to different people. But no, but I think for me, I was thinking about the guys I went to high school with. I think about the guys I grew up with when I was writing. I was thinking about my uncle and I'm really grateful to all of them for being in my life because I, I don't, I don't, I'm not that person that says, oh, I wish I could have had a relationship with my father. My father passed away when I was 14. Um, I wasn't God must not have needed that for me. Because if that's what he wanted, that would have been my life. And it wasn't. And maybe I didn't have my father in my life so I could write things that, you know, that people who also didn't have their father in their lives could relate to. You are recently engaged, right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you so much. 
When did you know that marriage was something you wanted in your life? I think, I, I you know, it's interesting because I never thought about marriage a ton growing up. Maybe it's because I'm a child of divorce and, and my parents divorced when I was like two years old. So, And also because I was never a girly girl. I never thought about wearing a wedding dress and all that kind of stuff. And it took me such a long time to come out to myself that when I did, the, I didn't think about, oh, maybe I'll wear a suit. There's also two because this marriage wasn't legal for us for a, a large yeah. part of my life. So it just never was a thing I thought about. But when you fall in love, which I did properly with Alana, I just started to think, oh, well, all I want to do is be with this person all the time until the end of my days. Why do you say properly? What's that mean? Because I think you fall in love a lot in your life. But I think until you fall in love with someone whom you're equally yoked with, it's hard to really gauge what falling in love feels like. Because you may think you're falling in love or you may think you're in love. But until it's a situation where both parties are on the same ride, going at the same speed, and saying the same things, I don't know how proper that falling in love is. (laughs) So for me, it was really Alana and I were dancing the same dance, the same song. And there was something really proper about the love in which we were falling into. Did it feel like it was all happening at once? Your career exploding, your love life transforming? I, I think it was a culmination of things. It was I was clocking in the 10,000 hours, still clocking them in, honestly. And you mean so you're, like, working, you're like, this is my practice. Absolutely. This is my work. Absolutely. I'm putting in the time. And I, I think falling in love with her gave me a real a safety net and a real foundation that it made me feel like, you know what? I'm gonna just take. I'm gonna just swing for the fences and try to do this thing. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? Because Alana's here to fall to catch me if I fall. What did that mean in terms of if if you both feel like I can, my dreams can be even bigger because I'm in love? Mm-hmm. What did that mean in terms of how you spend your time? If you both are feeling more ambitious and also like you want to take care of your relationship. Well, I think the great thing about Alana is that she's always put her well-being before a career because she's an exec and she's on so she's on the other side of the business but she has always known that your family your personal life must always be a priority and that's the thing that rubbed off on me and also too and just also taking time for yourself so i think for us both of us are still two very driven people and uh, she just took on a new a new gig. She's now the head of production for uh, Michael B. Jordan's production company. I saw your Instagram post, mm-hmm. hashtag the takeover begins. Yes, it does. It does. It has. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we do help each other navigate the business and navigate decisions. Because I can talk about the business all day. My friends come over, and a lot of because we're all in the business, we, mm-hmm. that's what we talk about. 
you know, you go like, do you guys ever stop talking about this? It's like, no, it's our favorite subject. We're talking about the movie <laughs> we just saw. We're talking about the TV show we just binged. We're talking about this actress that is, needs to make better decisions. Like, we're, that's what we talk about. And this Alana, actor that needs to make better decisions. It's true. We're like, what is she doing with her career? She had such a great moment. And now what is she doing? Oh, Jesus, why is she doing that movie? Like, okay, really? You're going to do the superhero thing now? We, we that's, that's what we talk about. And I think for Alana, her favorite thing is to sit across with someone who says, oh, I'm not in the business. Fantastic. She's someone one that likes to kind of shut off. And so I think we really, that's how we, we we can really balance our time, you know, where we'll, and then sometimes we'll be at home and be on our computers and just, I mean, firing off emails and I'm making tweaks to a script and she's re- making notes on one next to me. And then other times she's like, put your laptop down. Okay, put that away. I'm putting my phone down and we're going to watch The Crown. And, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful combination. But even I always tease her because when we're watching a movie, she'll she'll go like, why did they shoot that on a stage? Why don't they just go on location? And I always go, is that your note? Is that your, <laughs> is that, is that your note? Okay, great. Thank you. I always tease her. That's the, the exec is always there. She can't help it. Um, You're like, just watch The Crown, I'm like, okay? just freaking watch the, the movie thing, okay? Just let's, all right. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It really is. It's your life. That's Lena Waithe. The Shy is airing on Showtime right now, and it was just picked up for a second season. You can also see Lena in the Steven Spielberg movie Ready Player One coming in March. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Catherine Hsu and Angeli Mercado. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at Death, Sex, Money. And sign up for our newsletter. It's where we tell you every week what we're working on, other podcast episodes we're really enjoying, and what you're telling us in our inbox. Sign up at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. Lena told me she hasn't officially paid her mother back for financing that first year of rent out in L.A., but she's making it up to her in other ways. What I started to do when I was making money, every Christmas I would just send her a, a nice, sizable check. When you when you send that check, do you tell her it's coming, or do you just have it arrive in the mail? No, uh, she just arrive, arrives. She's like it's tradition now. But you don't talk about it. No, I mean she sends a text like, and I thank you. And I. <laughs> and then now she's got the emoji with the with the with the money on his eyes and tongue. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.